Welcome to episode number five of the Creative Percussion Podcast. My name is Justin Mason, and my guest with me today is Mr. Chris, Chris Georginis. How are you doing? Good, man. Thank you for having me, Justin. Nice to meet you. Absolutely. Thanks for thanks for being on. Cool. Uh, it's been a long time coming. We've had <laughs> conversations about this for close to a month now, but it's <laughs> it's good to finally get it done. We got it done. Yeah. So this has been my favorite question, I think, asking people. So with this being the Creative Percussion Podcast, what is one thing that is a Creative Percussion product that never leaves your kit? Wow, there's a few things, actually. It's hard to just name one. Um, I think the main staple of my kit from, from Creative Percussion has to be their, specifically their egg beater. It's on, mm-hmm. I, have, I have a couple of them. I have probably... I don't know, half a dozen different various beaters from creative percussion, but the egg beater is one I go to all the time. I use it all the time. It just feels right. It sounds great. Um, Hex stacks. I think that's been a long time go-to add on from creative percussion. I actually had an original uh, prototype that Kevin created and played that for a while. There's actually some video online that I posted that has, um, you know, before they had the cool coloring process that he puts on them now in the, in the labels, it was just kind of like a raw, almost like an unlathed symbol type of thing. But, uh, mm-hmm. and it just sounded great. And every time I'd bring it to a gig and, and accent something using it, it would, uh, someone in the band would always turn around to be like, wow, that was cool. What was that? You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I have like a bunch now, um, I've got maybe two or three different sets and I'm always mixing and matching, but yeah, those, those two things between the beaters and the hex stacks, those are my go-tos for sure. I agree with that. One my very first, um, order that I got, I got the very last beehive beater that he made. Oh, nice. And, uh, man, that thing that goes with me everywhere. If I'm playing a house kit, like I do at church. Uh, yeah. It goes on that kit with me. It just, it's my go-to beater. Yeah. On out. And the, actually the other thing is the, um, the drum tacos. Mm-hmm. I've got a few of those and those are always with me, uh, whether I use them or not. Sometimes I don't need to, but uh, they're always there. I got at least two or three um, all the time. Every, I think I gave one away to another drummer friend of mine who was like really curious about it. He came up to me after a show. He's like, what is that? I said, it's a drum yeah. taco. And since I think I had three or four of them at the time, I said, here, take it. He was like, what? And so now he's a fan too. Um, That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So what is one thing, and it really doesn't even have to be drumming related, but what is one thing that you know now that you wish you had known when you first started playing drums that is relevant oh my goodness um that's a great question what's one um i think if anything well maybe i ah so good i would probably if any i would i think i tell my younger self to practice more rudiments but actually set up i'm righty player i would probably if anything 
starting off at a younger age, I wish I did. I, I, I worked more on my non-dominant side. Um, like I, I, I'd go back in time and tell myself to set the kid up lefty and, and now play that way or try playing open as opposed to crossing over things like Mm -hmm. that, where, you know, I learned, I've been playing now 40 years. So, uh, I've, I've, I'm finally getting to that point because I'm playing a lot more than I think I ever have, but, um, I wish I was more, I don't know. I had more dexterity, um, on my weaker side of my body or my weaker limbs, like my left hand, uh, earlier on to develop better habits and, and technique and chops and whatever. Um, yeah, that's, those are things that came later in life. Cause I only, when I was young, when I first started out, I was only taking, I don't know, I took like half a dozen lessons and I was taught some of the basics and the rudiments and kind of went from there and was in bands and growing up. And I wish I was more formally trained as I went along, but, um, yeah, so I'm learning a lot more. I'm always learning. It's one of those instruments, right? It's like a lifelong thing. It's like golf or something where you, you never master it. So, uh, but yeah, I wish earlier on, I just really strengthened, uh, the weaker side of things. Yeah. Physically and mentally. And that's something that I did a few years ago. I had a double bass set up and I would, I would try and do what my right foot was doing with my left foot. Yeah. And it's, it's tough. Yeah. Because I had a, I had a gig where my, my master pedal actually messed up. And so I had to use my left foot, my slave pedal. And I, <laughs> man, I, I wound up kind of adjusting in a break and using my, uh, my slave pedal actually yeah. with my right foot. I had to do the same thing once I was, we were, I was in a band, uh, playing live over at our college radio station. And luckily I had the double bass set up. And the, yeah. sha- the shaft, this was before creative percussion. This was like in the 90s. The shaft of the beater broke, snapped mm-hmm. in half. And I, I, you know, the one rule, of, as you know, in music is just don't stop mid-song. Yeah. So I had to do what you did. I switched, my, I just put my left foot off the hi-hat and put it on the, on the slave pedal and tried to, yeah. you know, and I played as simply as I could, but every note was, you know, required 100% concentration the whole time to just play the basic you know, kick drum beats and stuff. So yeah, that was fun. Oh yeah. So as a drummer, what was your biggest failure and what did you learn from that experience? Wow. My biggest failure. And I hate to even call it a failure because you know everything is a learning experience, but what, what was the biggest negative thing in your career and what did you learn from that? Wow. I would say, well, one of the earliest ones was uh, always have your extra sticks by your side. I mean, that's a simple one, but that I was playing down in Hartford, Connecticut, a big venue, big theater. And I I don't know what, I I wasn't thinking I I got behind the kit. It was, I don't know, there's probably four or five bands that night. Um, But anyway, whatever in the confusion of, of, and then the rush of bringing gear up on stage, I left the stick bag backstage or something. I had a, a pair of sticks and I dropped one and I went to reach oh, no. for, for another one and there was nothing there. And the other <laughs> stick was, had like rolled, it like bounced so far away. I almost had to get up off my throne to get it. So I almost had to completely yep. stop playing, but, um, but that can happen to anyone at any time. I guess, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like the biggest failure. Um, that's a good one. I don't know if I actually ever had anything that I could consider like a failure in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, I'm trying to think. I might have to come back to that. I'll, I'll keep thinking, but let's come back to that one because that's a great okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I know you said that you only took a handful of lessons when you were growing up, but what are the best resources that have helped you along the way? And I know there are millions of them now with this day and age of, of YouTube and Dromeo and all of that. But what are some things that you've really taken, you know, learning from and that have helped you out? It's really just been following and listening to drummers that just catch my ear for whatever reason. And um, that's just been something, I guess I threw out my entire life slash career where uh, early on it was Buddy Rich and Louis Belson and Max Roach. And I would literally listen and try to emulate what they were doing as best I could, or whether it was someone like Sheila E or something like that. And then Stuart Copeland comes along. And of course there's the bottom years, but now it's like you get to that point where you think, all right, I'm good. And then someone like, um, you know, like Nate Smith comes along and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Or Jojo Meyer, Mayer. And so it, it, what I like to do now is kind of listen a lot to people who aren't trying to be technical in the sense where they're showing off chops and blast beats. But it's more like I, I, I'm finally understanding what you don't play can be more powerful. It's something yes. I think like Max Roach used to talk about a lot where I think he said, you know, the hardest thing for a drummer to do is pick the stick up off the head. And I never understood mm -hmm. that when I was a kid, but now I get it, you know, like that sort of Steve Jordan approach uh, of soloing yeah. where it's like very groove based. And oftentimes it's not about how fast you are. Um, so I've learned, you know, I don't play double bass anymore. I'm, I'm in, I, I don't, I, yeah, I just, I bring a, a single kick pedal and I've learned to be simpler because I've done enough recording where I can hear, I can play back what I, what I've played and, and what I thought was cool live was just way too much or too busy and didn't sound great at all after I play it back. Yeah. So I realized, Oh my, you know, if I can just play simply, I got to a gig once where the hi-hat was broken, the linkage, mm -hmm. right? The top half of the linkage, the rod that goes through was missing a nut somewhere. It fell off. And I was, you know, it was, I don't know, it was 11 o'clock at night. And I realized, oh my goodness, I won't have a hi-hat. I managed to use duct tape to kind of jerry-rig it together, but I had to be really like light with it. And yeah. it made me play simpler and, and gentler almost. And that was one of the best performances ever, you know? Yeah. So again, it was like one of those things where, yeah, it's like less is more. That was probably the biggest takeaway. And, and that's what I gravitate towards now um, when I'm listening to someone else, but so, yeah, that's for me, it's just really just being open to other drummers, what they're doing, but then applying your own feel, uh, you know, you can borrow techniques here and there. Everyone sort of does, but it's mm -hmm. when, it's when you can, um, really imply to, uh, on, onto the instrument itself, something that only you have from within and, um, whether you know some sort of rhythmic sensibility or, or not and oftentimes it's for me it's just it's what you don't play that's really the biggest lesson so that's what i that's what i tend to take you know from other drummers yeah and that's great and, and like you said we we quote unquote steal technique from you know other drummers and everything but yeah that's that's one thing i like about this instrument is you can take somebody's technique and make it your own yeah and it just you you're able to expand your vocabulary that way and 
Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the thing about this instrument. I've been playing for 17 years myself and I'm constantly learning things every day. Exactly. Yeah. And I love that. That's the, that's the best part about it. It, it keeps it fresh. I've never gotten tired of it. I started when I was nine, 10 years old. I think my mom yeah. said it was a phase I was going through and, you know, 40 years later, it's still a phase. So um, there's always something, I mean, even like this past summer, I saw something, the Nashville drummer on Instagram play at this cool groove with the cowbell. And I went, Oh my God, I, that is a, that's wild. So I sat down to learn it. It's pretty complicated. And it took me, you know, a couple hours to really kind of get comfortable with it. And, but when, once I did, it was kind of like, all right, how can I make it a little different or make it my own? Or how can I, you know, expand upon it, you know, not just copy it, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. So we talked about, you know, you mentioned a few drummers uh, earlier. So who was, who was your biggest influence when you got into drums and what got you into drums? You know, I don't remember exactly the defining moment that got me into drums. It was something when I was a kid, I always listening to music, understood what the drummer was doing. Um, I could just listen to it and just, for me, it just seemed obvious. Oh, that's yeah. his right foot. That's his left foot. That's his right hand, left hand. And so for me, it was just a simple, yeah, I get it. I could sit down and do that. Um, and in fact, you know, I, I was born in 67. And so I'm a seventies, eighties kid and driving in the car with my parents, we had a radio that was it with an antenna, right? And so whenever yeah. we would drive under a tunnel, the radio would kick out. You just hear static for however long mm-hmm. you were under the tunnel. But for me, I used to play a game where when there was music playing, I would keep the beat, whether it's my hands on my lap or and my feet, whatever. And when we started uh, to go under a tunnel, I would, you know, the music would cut out and I would still play the beat. And, and then hopefully I still be in time when we come out the other end. And yeah. I, and I usually was, so I kind of, it was a fun thing for me. And it also kind of taught myself that, Hey, I've got, I got some sense of rhythm, I think. Um, but earlier on uh, around those years, I, it was the biggest influence was Buddy Rich. I was way into that whole jazz big band thing and the way he soloed the sound of his drums. I had a record player. I would just put the needle down and listen to chunks of it and then try my best to emulate it. I never came close, but and I, I, got to, I got to see him live once uh, when I was 14. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was crazy. But uh, then I got to see Louis Belson live those are the only two growing up that like my biggest actually Stuart Copeland later back I think late 80s or uh I got to see him live as well but um but yeah I mean it was always um different drummers throughout my career throughout my life growing up of course you know they they different drummers make their mark through musical history uh, you know with each and every decade so uh, of course I'm going to be inspired by many of them but yeah earlier on it was, it was the Buddy Rich thing. And I remember one of my very first, my very first public performance, I was always too shy to play in front of everyone, but it happened to be at a show where I had to do a solo for like 15 minutes uh, in front of about 400 people. And I try yeah. to pull out all my Buddy Rich licks as best I could, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, that from, and it was just one of those things. I, uh, I just loved that aspect of drums, but then I got more, the older I'm getting now, the more um, Steve Jordan, like Nate Smith, Adam Deitch groove based uh, monsters is more where I love to be, uh, you know, in terms of musicality. Um, I love that, you know, whether it's hip hop based or just groove oriented music is always my favorite now. Yeah, I love that. Um, I just now I just discovered a few years ago, and I don't know how 
it took me this long to discover Nate Smith. Yeah. And just, I, I went into the rabbit hole so deep, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's definitely one of my top five now. Yeah. And he told the story that uh, resonated with me too, about how um, I think it was the uh, talking about Stuart Copeland earlier and uh, the album Regatta de Blanc, I think it was where he, where uh, Stuart Copeland was um, experimenting with delay effects in the studio. And there was a couple of songs where he repeats the, this sort of snare fill. And it, it and I, I remember at the time trying to figure out how did he do that? I thought it was live. And so I remember trying to sort of build a way to do that into my left hand with a sort of buzz roll sort of thing. Uh, and, and Nate Smith, I recently heard an interview where he was doing the same thing. He heard the same thing and he was trying to emulate it too. And he actually developed what's actually quote unquote, a wrong technique with his left hand to sort of yeah. do that. And, uh, but it, the big lesson and the big takeaway was that there's nothing really wrong with it. You know, it's, we all have different ways of doing it, of hitting, of holding a drumstick, our, our follow throughs, our actions or whatever techniques we use. Uh, and he made what was considered wrong, what would never be taught in any school. He made it work for him. And uh, so that for me was like a huge lesson too. Uh, it was kind of an inspiring story just to, because I never heard of anyone else who heard what I heard so long ago back in the eighties and, and then thought like, wait a minute, how's he doing that? What's he doing? Yeah. You know? yeah. So what is one common myth about drums or drummers whatever you, wherever you want to go with this, that you mm -hmm. want to debunk. That it's easy. I think a lot of people think, I mean, it is, and it should be fun slash easy, but you know, anyone can sit down behind a set of drums and just start hitting and whacking away. And I've had people come up to be like, Hey, can I sit in? And it's just like, uh, can you play like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they get behind the kit and it's like horrible, you know, they obviously can't. And, um, and that's fine. But, it is a myth about how, how difficult it is just to even keep time. Uh, keeping time is like something I still try to get better at, even with the band I'm in now and playing with, you know, great musicians and specifically our bassist and I are always talking about tempos and to the point now where when I'm, when we're playing music, I'm actually listening to his bass notes in between quarter notes. And it, I can tell now that uh, what he's taught me is I can, you know, if he's playing too fast, then I'm playing too fast. So I try mm -hmm. to play based on, you know, tempo wise, listening to bassists. And uh, so for me, that that's the hardest thing in the world. Anyone could play a beat or a groove, but to, just to, the discipline or like what was great about Charlie Watts was the discipline to not fill all the time and just play a groove and play to the music. So that's yeah. the hardest thing in the world. A lot of the gigs I get are because, you know, when I was asked to sit in, uh, cause you know, I knew the drummer, um, a lot of times drummers will get up there and just try to do a drum solo through a song to show off. And I never yeah. did. I'd always just get up there and just play a groove. And then that would always lead to being asked to play gigs and gigs and gigs. I was never that drummer that wanted to be flashy or wanted to take over the stage, that kind of thing. So I think that's the hardest part is self editing. Um, I mean, anyone, like I said, anyone could learn to play the drums and get good at it, but to then throw away, like learn everything you can about something and then go back to the first 10% and then take a left and just go yeah. down that road. So that's the kind of, that's the hardest thing about, I guess, any profession 
um, or discipline you try to take on. But yeah, but drums, I think it's so much harder to, uh, I don't know, just play simple. I play a four piece kit with a couple of cymbals and I've had a couple of people come up to me and say, you really make great use of such a small kit. And uh, that to me is a great compliment. You know, um, I don't need anything more than that. I mean, it'd be great to have, you know, I used to play a, a bigger kit, uh, three yeah. rack, tom, three high toms and a couple of floor toms and double bass pedal. And it was a trio and it was all original music. And I was doing a lot of different things back then. But nowadays it's different for me where I'm at. So, yeah, it's just being simple. That's the biggest and hardest lesson. Yeah, and it's it's amazing how when we grow as drummers, it seems that our drum set gets smaller <laughs> as we progress in. Because I'm the same way. I, I play a four piece kit, and yeah. when I first started, I played a six piece. I played two up and two down. Yep. And it has just quickly just kind of gotten smaller, less drums, less cymbals, everything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's just funny how that works. Mm-hmm. So with this being the Creative Percussion Podcast. I do like to focus on some creative percussion stuff as well. So what was the first thing from creative percussion that you got? And in that first purchase, what was your interaction with Kevin like? And if you didn't interact with Kevin, then what was your first interaction with Kevin like when you did interact with him? I met Kevin at Drum Center of Portsmouth in New Hampshire uh, at a clinic that Dave Desenzo was giving. Um, I had known about Kevin at creative percussion i think before then but i'm pretty sure my memory serves me correctly when that was the first time we actually met in person and i think that night i i made my first purchase which was i want to say i i it was definitely an egg beater uh it may have also been drum tacos um and he and i talked at length about you know stuff he's he was working on as much as he could tell me at the time and got me excited about the hex stacks and other yeah ideas. I mean, he's just, as you know, a well of ideas and an endless well. Yes. Um, and then he invited me to, uh, to his laboratory, I'll call it. <laughs> and, um, and I did, I've been there a couple of times and he would show me stuff he was working on and got me excited about stuff. And I think that's when he gave me the prototype for the hex stacks and things like that. But, um, but yeah, the very first thing was the, those beaters that I mentioned before that I still carry with me. You know, I think yeah. since, since then, between all the hex stacks and there's the the shaker that um, that you can attach to a, a pedal, I have mm-hmm. uh, there was the head scratcher, I have I've got I've got I don't know I forgot how many things I have from him at this point, but um, but yeah, the very first few things are the basic things I still carry with me to every gig. But meeting Kevin was great. He was personable, down to earth, normal, average kind of guy, but just full of creative ideas, as we know. Um, and I told, and I told him too, I said, look, I love making videos and I, I'm, I'm excited to take, um, your products and kind of throw them in the kit and, and, uh, record it and, you know, put it out there and and tag him. So I tried to help him in as many ways as I could to kind of grow his audience as much as I could. And I, and I hope I did. I think I did. I definitely got a few drummer friends on board with a lot of his stuff. So, um, and that was fun for me. That's, that's fun to do because it, it proves how great his stuff is and how good his ideas are. Um, Cause I would play stuff and I would immediately get all these messages from people like, what is that? Who, who makes yeah. that, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, but yeah, that Kevin's great. Awesome dude. Yeah, I agree with that. When, 
when he and I first started talking, you know, I invited him on another podcast that I have. And for some reason he couldn't make it on. And he texted me a couple of weeks later and he said, what if we had creative percussion guys on your podcast? And I was like, well, why don't we just make a creative percussion podcast? <laughs> and that's how this, you know, that's how this started. And that's great. It's just been awesome to not only meet fellow creative percussion artists, but just to get to know Kevin better and having conversations with him and, you know, who do you think should come on this, this week? And, you know, what do you think about how it's going and the questions that I ask and stuff like that. So he is, he's super personable and yeah, I just, I'm glad to have known him for this past year that I've known him. Yeah. Yeah. I think my journey with him started whenever I forget, I could probably look it up, but it's been a few years now at this point. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's great. He's always, it's always, um, imp- I'm always impressed and it's amazing how many different ideas he comes up with all the time. And, and so, yeah, this is just, like I said, never ending. Well, it just doesn't seem to yeah. run out at any point. So yeah, it's great. I'm always looking forward to whatever he comes up with. And we benefit from that never ending. Well, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so if you were walking down the street and somebody ran into you and saw you wearing a creative percussion shirt or something and, you know, asked you about creative percussion, what would be the one thing from creative percussion that you would suggest them get just to kind of dip their toe in the water? Wow. That's a great question. Um, I'd have to stay. I think, his products like the hex stacks, I think are probably the most uh, sonically beneficial to a drummer um, mm-hmm. that would make the most different uh, difference for someone with a drum kit. I mean, sure. Yeah. You can get beaters and stuff like that, that, but no one's from the audience's point of view are, are really going to notice the beater so yeah. much and, or the drum taco. Um, so yeah, I would say probably some sort of an effect stack that, uh, that mm-hmm. Kevin makes. Um, cause it's a, such a unique sound and it, it, it and I think it's, uh, also kind of a trend too, that's been going on in the last few years, especially with more hip hop groove oriented drumming, uh, to have fun accenty type of trashy sounds like that and effects on, on an acoustic kit. So that for me, I think that would be the biggest bang for your buck for yeah anyone interested in creative percussion products. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I, my main focus right now has been worship music just because COVID has shut down a lot of, yeah. you know, concerts and stuff like that. But we still, you know, have church service. And even when coronavirus was just picking up and I hate to make this political, but mm-hmm. it's, that's what shut everything down. But exactly, yeah. we were live streaming a lot of our services, but I, I forget the name of the song that we did, but we did a song that had this stacker sound and I brought one of the hex stacks and one of the pastors just looked at me and said, what is that? Like, <laughs> I'm not even a drummer and I'm interested in what that is. Right. So it, it just, it just goes to show you that his creativity knows no bound. Like even people who are not drummers want to know what's going on. Yeah. And I th- even think like even the aspect of uh, that, it's hexagonal as opposed to round, which is what everyone else would have, you know, that everyone else does round stuff, whatever. But uh, that's what, that's what probably grabbed his attention, right? Non-drummers. So 
uh, yeah, I, I, I love the fact that he makes so many different sizes and so you can mix and match. And, you know, yeah. I have, I don't know, probably three or four of them ranging from, I, I don't know, the biggest ones probably, I don't know, 12 inches or something and, and all the way down to maybe five inches. So yeah. sometimes I'll use three, sometimes I'll use five, but some are big, some are small. So yeah, it's always fun. You'll get different sounds. So even if, even within the realm of his products, you can also kind of develop or be creative with your own, you know, yeah. however, however you want to stack them to create your own creative sort of effects and, and accents. Yeah. So one last thing before I get you out of here, I do um, again, want to thank you for your time. Um, so could you shout out your social media platforms and just kind of let everybody know one where they can find you and two, some things that you have going on. Cause I know concerts are picking back up. So I don't know if you have any, releases happening or live shows happening or whatever. So just kind of let everybody know where they can find you and where they can see you play. Cool. Yeah. My main website is bostondrummer.com, which is the easiest mm -hmm. thing to remember. Instagram is where I do a lot of drumming videos and stuff like that. So, and my Instagram is at Chris Georginus. It's just my first and last name together. Um, right. and, and as far as um, shows, I've actually had a crazy busy summer here in the Northeast. And because uh, we play a lot on a, on a place called Cape Cod, um, yep. there's lots of venues there and the band I'm in is pretty popular. They've been around for 15, 20 years. I've been with them for six. Um, and so we, we've been playing on average three to four gigs a weekend. Uh, and it's been great. It's been, you know, a little scary too, because, you know, there's yeah. been all these breakouts and stuff, but, uh, but we've been healthy about it and fine. And, and it's been busy as far as like what's coming up next. I'm actually kind of looking forward to a little bit of a lull in the action this, this fall. We have a few gigs here lined up, but um, one thing I did during the pandemic was I, I got much better at recording and mm -hmm. mix mixing. And what I was doing was a lot of um, collaborations with tons of musicians that I otherwise would never get a chance to work with some were local, but some were, international there was a great singer in italy that i worked with and just tons of people so we would collaborate pick a song and we would all record on our own and i would put it all together mix it and do the video and and so i did a ton of those i don't know probably 20 or 25 of them i haven't done them all summer just because i've been so busy but that's something i'm looking forward to maybe possibly picking up again this this winter depending on you know how busy i am with gigs so uh so we'll see. Yeah. Bostondrummer.com has like all that stuff. There's even a whole page dedicated to collaborations that has all of them. One of the very first one we did had 17 musicians and it ended up on local news here uh, within 24 hours. And it was just kind of a funny thing where my wife said, like, you're thriving in lockdown. Because yeah. <laughs> if like we told you, you had to make it on the on the news without leaving your house, how would you do it? And I'm like, I would I'd have no idea. So, yeah, that's been fun. It's actually I used the whole pandemic and lockdown to actually take advantage of it and uh, finally, you know, use it uh, to learn something that I always wanted to learn or get better at. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's probably more of that. Hopefully if I can. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love seeing what people have been able to do through the pandemic and everything. I know a lot of touring musicians were teaching lessons. They were like, I've had people reach out to me and, I haven't been able to do lessons because I've been touring. Now this pandemic has given me a chance to do that. So exactly, it's been, yeah. it's been cool to see what people do with their time. So, and I'm yeah. glad you've been able to stay busy with even through the lockdown and everything. Yeah. 
Yeah, I have to. I'm just that type that needs. Yeah, uh, I got to keep going with something. Yeah, be creative as often and as long as you can. Right. Yeah. Well, again, I want to thank you for being on. This was episode number five of the Creative Percussion Podcast. And I hope you have a great night and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Justin. This is great. Absolutely. Thank you. Cool.